a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, your official Clashing Sabers podcast that covers all the books in the new canon and audio dramas, but we'll get to that later. Uh... (laughs) I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-host. She is cooler than Yoda dancing with Yaddle at the end of Endgame. Spoiler alert. It's Lindsay. <laughs> I'm glad you added at the end of Endgame because honestly, after Master and Apprentice and Dooku, I don't know how cool that would be. I mean, Yaddle takes care of, of all of that. That's true. So... That's true. Today we are doing part two of our Master and Apprentice talk. Uh, just too much to contain in one episode. And then, of course, uh, we next uh, episode we're going to cover the Count Dooku uh, Jedi Lost audio drama. Um, so, and I th- there's going to be a lot of connections here. It's, it's really going to be like a trilogy of episodes uh, as far as this goes. But before we jump into that today, I... I feel a need to confess something. Uh Uh-oh. Think long and hard before you do. Once you say it, you can't unsay it. I I discovered a part of myself that I'm not very comfortable with. Uh Uh-oh. But I feel like I should let everybody know. I, uh, I figured out this past week that I have not actually read all of the novelizations of the Star Wars movies. No. Can I guess which one you haven't? Uh, it'll be shorter if you guess which ones I had, but sure. Hmm. You have not read Phantom Menace. Yes, you are correct. Oh. That's the one I'm reading right now that made me realize it. Because Jeez. there's stuff that happens with Anakin, and I'm like, I would have remembered this. But, I mean, I, I guess when I was at that reading ability, I had already like kind of moved away from Star Wars. During my mm. dark times, you know, because I remember reading the junior novelization like 20 times. I read that book so many times uh, waiting for Attack of the Clones to come out. I got Attack of the Clones from the public library. I'm going to read it after episode one. Um, and hopefully I'll remember that I read that at some point. I know I've read Revenge of the Sith. Uh-huh. And I've I honestly it. like the Attack of the Clones novelization the best. See, and that's what I... I feel like that's, I don't know if I liked it the best, but I feel like I really, really liked it. And I don't remember that with the Attack of the Clones uh, junior novelization, which I just read like last year uh, when I was reading it to the class. So that's a hard truth to face in yourself, though. It was really weird. And then I, I honestly don't think I've read any of the novelizations for the original trilogy. Hmm. I think I don't actually don't know if I have either. I feel like I've read Empire Strikes Back. I don't know about the other two though. I own multiple copies of some of them. Uh, 
Well, like Half Price Books has some of the old mm-hmm. school ones. So I got a couple that are like the 1977 like first uh, run that came out. And I'm like, for oh, that's 250 cool. yeah, you got to get that. Uh, and it can like fit in my back pocket so it's nice and easy to, to take with me. But So I've decided that leading up to episode nine, um, I'm going to read all of them straight through with the, the new releases, of course, mixed in there. Um, and kind of see how it informs episode nine. I think that, along with um, the new book by Delilah Dawson, the uh, the Skywalker. Oh yeah, what, what's the name of that one called? I want to say Legacy of Skywalker, but that's not. No, no, it's um, it's not something untold. It's the Skywalker stories or something of that nature. But I was listening to her on uh, Unmistakably Star Wars and. Um, she was talking about it's like written in a uh, fairy tale type story from the points of view of the Skywalker family. So I think it'll be really interesting to like read the novelizations and then of course, you know, get that little cap at the end and then go into episode nine. And hopefully the episode nine novelization doesn't take six months to come out. Cause that's, Oh, I hope not. I want that like right away. Yeah. Like I'm totally cool with like, okay, a week to make sure like there's no spoilers and you can ship them out and stuff like that. But come on, man, you got to give us, you got to give give us something. Yeah. I mean, okay. They haven't announced it yet. They haven't even announced the author for it yet. Have they? No, but I don't know if they really did at this point for, for seven and eight. I think maybe Alan Dean Foster might have been announced for seven pretty early because, like, he was, you know, a stalwart of Star Wars writing. But I don't think Jason Fry was announced very early for. And well, year. that came out months later. That came out closer to the DVD release, I think. Yeah, and that I mean that was kind of what it was for uh, Force Awakens. Rogue One and Solo, I think, were a little closer to release, but it was still a couple months. Jeez. And I think, like... You're right. It's funny, because I think that is primarily because, like, they want to have the continuity of the stories and and have everything kind of line up. There was some things in Force Awakens that were, like, from one of the drafts that didn't get put into the movie. And there's a part of me that's like, okay, that's, that's fine, but I also feel like we are missing certain points um, or opportunities to develop the characters a little more. Like the episode one novelization, I just got through this amazing part where like Anakin as like a nine-year-old stops and helps a Tusken Raider and just because it's the right thing to do. And I don't know if the, the current novelization authors are given that much leeway. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, and I'm hoping that um, episode nine might change it. Maybe they just still wanted to keep that air of secrecy, but now it's going to have to be all cards on the table. So if there's going to be any really big expansion, I think it'll be this one. The only thing that makes me a little bit hesitant to say it definitely will be is the other books and the reference materials that we've gotten have done such a great job of expanding them. Even just the junior level ones, you know, before The Force Awakens, those type of books. Uh, Ray's Scavenger Survivor Guide. I know I was texting you all these pictures. 
from that. But but that does a really good job of expanding those characters, I think. Yeah, and I mean, it's like complaining about a feast, you know, at this point, because mm. there's so much stuff. And that kind of leads into talking about the new uh, announcement of the Rise of Skull. So many! Oh my god, I like... So, I know a, there was a, a tweet by StarWars.com saying like, or no, uh, Delray rather, saying that, you know, stay tuned for later today. And we were talking about the possibility uh, of it being Project Luminous. It This doesn't appear to be Project Luminous. So I uh, just wanted to go ahead and put that out there because that's what I thought at first. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a letdown because they've done these Journey 2s for every one of the movies. So I guess more to come on Project Luminous later. Uh, maybe that has something to do with epi- Episode 9 novelization. I don't know. Um, anyways... Back to what we were actually talking about. We got a lot. I feel like we got a lot of books here. It was kind of overwhelming. Yeah. yeah, Overwhelming in the best way. I don't think it would have felt overwhelming had we not just gotten a ton of information dropped about the Galaxy's Edge books that are coming out. And we have so many stories there. I I can't believe how many books we're getting. It's one, I think it's one a month going up through September, and then we're kicking into like two to three a month. It's something like that. It's something like that. I'm going to have to do a lot of reading over the summer to keep up with this. So let's start with the, I mean, we're just going to go through the StarWars.com list and talk about them. The first big one is the one that I feel like I am the most interested in, which is Resistance Reborn. Um, I feel like this one, number one, I mean, it's got Poe, Leia, Ray, Finn, all of them, you know, working in, uh, to, to rebuild the resistance, which to me feels a lot like a, uh, Clone Wars type situation, you know, filling in the gap there, but it'll be interesting to see like what connections there are. And what, I almost feel like this has the potential to be catalyst, but better. You know how Catalyst just really informs the characters and where they're at when we start Rogue One, but just on a a whole different level because, I mean, it's episode nine. Yeah, and we already know these characters. They don't have to spend so much time introducing, you know, we had the introduction of Krennic and Galen Erso and Lyra. Now we can just get right to the nitty gritty stuff and we know where they are already we know their characteristics we can just jump right into the plot and see what's going on with them yeah that's a good point that's a good point i wonder you know like everything is connected now and and we've talked about how we feel like they're doing a wonderful job of that you've got this coming out you've got just a little bit before this this comes out uh november 12th and i think galaxy's edge this uh, opens may and august and then Resistance comes back in, like, September, I, I believe. So all of these are really close together. So it'll be interesting to see the connections there. Then I know the the next one is the one that you are most interested in. And I feel like most people are, uh, which is Force Collector. Which Do is you really feel out. like most people are? I feel like most most people I've seen are more excited for Resistance. But I'm way more excited for Force Collector. Here, here's the thing. I have a lot of Kylo, Raylo, Stan Twitter in my feed, and there mm. is a theory out there that this is a young Ben Solo. I heard that theory too, 
I feel like they already discredited it, though. Did I mean, so I I didn't think it was at all when I first saw him. And they released that artwork, which is beautiful art- artwork, by the way. Um, you know, and, and just real quick, off the top of my head, the description was something like a young man figures out his connection to the Force and, what you know, his history with it and his connection there. Um it's- so it it's, says on here on StarWars.com, a young adult novel set just before The Force Awakens, a restless teenager sets out to discover what connection uh, his mysterious Force powers have to the fabled Jedi and what the Force has in store for him. And that, to me, was what discredited it. You know, everyone started talking about, oh, it looks like him. So then I start looking at it. And at that point, it's just confirmation bias because at first I didn't think it looked anything like him. But then when everyone else puts the idea in your head... You're looking, and it's like, oh, maybe, you know, this might match up, maybe if he's younger. And then I saw he was carrying around books that you could physically handwrite in these books. And for a second, I was like, oh, that has to be Kylo Ren. Yeah. But reading the description, if it's, you know, a teenage boy set just before Force Awakens, if it's that close to Force Awakens, Kylo Ren would not have been a teenage boy. Yeah, I don't think it... I don't think it will be. I think the art leads you that direction, though. Um, you know, like with the book, the I feel like the gloves that he is wearing are, and the, the sleeve that he has is very similar to Kylo's outfit. Um, you have an already constructed lightsaber. You have a holocron, you know, which would make sense for a Force collector, but those are things that, like, he would have access to via Luke. And, you know, having a Stormtrooper helmet, I almost wonder, like, if it was Ben, is that like a stormtrooper helmet from Endor that like was kept by him for some reason or, you know, whatever. It, it's just a matter of like, what do they mean by just before the force awakens? Right. That's, and that's, that's the big one there. I kind of, to be honest, think it's going to be on the same planet that we see in episode nine that they were in. Um, where was it? Jordan. They were shooting in. Yeah, it looks like that, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be almost more like Princess of Alderaan, where they use it not so much to introduce the character as big of a reason as introducing the planet. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I I guess I've been so looking so much at, like, the the character um, that I didn't look at you know, the background and stuff. I do find it interesting, though, that they didn't put a name there. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're putting out a Force book, you know people are going to talk about it, right? Like, you confirmed that the major characters are going to be in Resistance Reborn, and here you just call it a restless teenager. So I find that interesting, and and maybe what potential connections that could have to Episode Nine. The next one is the Star Wars Marvel Comics Allegiance, and this is one um, that is set after the destruction of Starkiller Base. Uh, the, the Resistance is barely surviving, and they have to go to the Mon Calamari to try to get ships again, um, which, of course, they did in, I want to say, Volume 7 of the... The Star main Wars Star Wars, Comics. yeah. Yeah. And then I think we see crossovers of that in Vader, too, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't got to the reread of Vader yet. I'm still working through some of the last parts of the um, the Star Wars ongoing. But 
I know there is some crossover with the Mon Calamari, but whether I don't remember if it's like during the time when they were trying to get them or after. Anyways, um, how do you feel about this comic? Because it to me just the pre- the the description of it feels like okay like we're just repeating i right there with you in multiple comics you know we've seen moncal in clone wars it's just it seems like that's kind of their backup plan all the time like oh if we need if we need something good just just go to the moncalamari people always love that and it's like "Mm." it's not that anyone hates it i don't think anyone gets really excited for it though yeah i mean like I think people got excited about Radis, and maybe that gave them like a false positive about mm-hmm. it. But you could have made Radis like an Ithorian or a Rodian, and everybody would have freaked out the same way because he was just a badass character, you know? Yeah, Radis is cool because of what he did, not because of what species yeah. he is. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, I did see an interesting stat from our friends over at happybeeps.net yesterday. Oh, what was that? Okay. I don't know if you saw this. I, I think. I think it was in the, the chart of the day or graph of the day. From 1977 to 1981, when Marvel had the license for, uh, I almost said Disney comics, for Star Wars comics, that first those first four years, they published 51 issues. The first four years of Dark Horse, they published exactly 100 issues. All right? The first four years in the new Marvel run, they have published 288 Jeez. So, now, and after seeing, I was texting you about this, after seeing where Afra has gone, like, the, the last volume of Afra was unreadable for me. Um, and not even because the, the character was great. Like, I still love Afra the character. The comic was just garbage, in my opinion. Um... I'm like, okay, maybe we need to like press the press the 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 brake pedal there on some of the comics. And I guess this will I feel like this one will be a good barometer of whether they're going to be able to actually tell more unique stories in these comic issues or it's just going to be like more war, here you go and go from there. I have faith now um you know, we're recording this Thursday night, the new issue, the very first issue of the new arc of Afra just came out yesterday. And it seems at least in this one issue, like they are bringing it back to what we saw in that first volume, where it is a lot of going into these old relics and has that Indiana Jones vibe to it again. So I'm, I'm feeling better about that. And if they can gear more towards that, um, it's a very similar vibe in the new Galaxy's Edge comics as well. That, you know, we're only one issue in right now, but I was blown away. I can't believe how much I enjoyed that one story um, and got me really hyped for what's coming up there. If they can keep the comics as a place where we can explore these older relics and these new parts of the galaxy, then I think we'll be in good shape. But if they take it where it seems they're going with allegiance which is just let's just hammer in what you guys already know and you've already seen then you know i don't want to say i'm personally going to drop off because i'll still read every single one but 
I could I could see a lot of readership declining if that's the case. Yeah, and as I'm rereading some of these uh, comics, you know, I'm rereading the Star Wars ongoing right now, and except for a few spots here and there, like I feel like that's a really solid comic. Of course, the the first Vader run, there's some stuff in there I really don't like. There's some stuff in there I love. The second Vader run, I think, is near perfection. But I, this is a problem for me with comics in general, and maybe it's just, like, personal opinion. But I don't like when they get, like, super weird. For, like... What like, like Screaming Citadel? Like Screaming Citadel, or, like, the possessed stuff that Afra got into. That Yeah, like, that's when Afra started going downhill for me. Right? So, I don't know. I... I I want it to get into the lore, but I feel like the novels are more of a place for the lore and the comics are more of a place for the action because mm. you, know, you can visually display it. So, But yeah, we do need to get some unique stories in there. But I mean, what are we saying? We're yeah. addicts. We're going to continue to. This is true. I um, think Allegiance is going to be the one to push any boundaries, though. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, okay, so moving on to kind of the kids' books, there's, you know, some of the young reader ones. There's a Poe and Finn Choose Your Own Adventure book, um, which I, I've been meaning to grab some of those Choose Your Own Adventure books. But the one that is probably going to be the big hitter, and this kind of goes with the Before the Awakening um, and some of the books, in, basically the red and black line of books that we've been getting before each movie um, and it's rise, uh, or excuse me, spark of resistance, which is on the planet Minfar. There is a uh, distress plea, and Poe, Ray, and Finn, and Rose, of course, also go to that call, and they face a first order battalion, creatures, and weapons that could change the course of the war. So, number one, please, God, don't have another super weapon. Um, <laughs> number two. Ray Poe and Rose. Oh, I'm sorry. Finn was not in that list. It's Ray Poe and Rose. Finn is off doing something else, I guess. Do I mean, I know you're excited. How excited are you to see Ray Poe <laughs> and Rose? I'm really excited. I like calling it the, the red and black line of books. I think that they add so much to the characters. None of it's, you know, you have to read this to understand the depth of these characters. You know, it's it's not meant for that. But they move the story along really well and you just feel such a connection to each of the characters after where you're like, Oh, they're my babies. I need to protect them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that was the, the before the awakening book is kind of like that. And I mean, I I thought it did a lot for Finn's character. Yeah. Finn was the one that really stuck out there. You know, the Ray one was good. I think there was a Poe one. The Rose one was pretty good for last Jedi. That was fine. But the Finn one, I remember being really good. Well, because, like, in the film, you don't get the, the feeling that he's a very good stormtrooper. And then, he, you know, he was a janitor. So you just kind of assume, like, okay, this is a chump, you know? It's not really a big loss for the First Order. But he was, like, the top recruit in his, uh, in his class, you know? And he had, like, great scores on everything and by every measure was going to be a great stormtrooper. Um, and he wasn't. He wasn't a great stormtrooper. All right. Here's the one that nearly broke the internet. I don't, I honestly don't remember an excitement level that matches 
what I saw for this book with anything other than like ticket releases or a trailer. And it's the rise, the art of the rise of Skywalker. Mm. Now, number one, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but they never released the covers of the art of books before the films came out, did they? Not that I remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, none of them are. They that might have. I just, I just don't think so. And, and I mean, and if they did. The one you would think you would hold back would be this cover that we have, right? Like, holy cow. If you have not seen this already, for the love of God, go search the, the art of Rise of Skywalker because it is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And the one thing that, like, there's, there's obvious things in there. There's the balance, you know, you've got the, the light, the dark. But the one thing that blew my mind and i posted this on twitter um and, and credit to michelle for for sharing this if you turn ray and kylo on the side do you know what they make i'm i'm trying to look right now but my phone keeps rotating the picture <laughs> <laughs> what do, what do they make before i throw this at the wall they make a jedi symbol <clears throat> holy crud look at it i mean it's got the the crossover it's got the the big bar down the middle this is great audio but like it's the outline of the jedi emblem jeez it's crazy right it's crazy we gotta yeah we gotta attach that on the show yeah for sure I think also this gives us another really interesting thing because either one of two things is happening in this cover as far as Kylo Ren. Uh, number one, it is either completely confirming that he was in charge of his helmet being put back together even though he probably didn't do it because of the furry hands. Uh, that's not a sentence I ever thought I would say. <laughs> Or number two, this is the biggest misdirect of all time. Because Kylo's wearing the cracked helmet. He's wearing it here, and he's also... This is interesting, because this is what makes me think he's actually going to wear the helmet again. If you go back to the uh, some of the young reader books, he it, it, it's a, a painting of him, and he's wearing the cracked helmet. And the title is First Order Villains for that one. Hmm. Um, and I don't see them like putting out this book about Kylo Ren for this is level two. So we're talking like second graders are reading this book. That's about the level that you're at. I don't see them like doing a misdirect to second graders just to like sell the movie to adults. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's, I feel like it's confirmed. We can make a YouTube video about it. Like with all caps and everything uh, that Kylo's going to be wearing the helmet at nine. Yeah, I think he will. I don't I don't see what purpose there would be in recreating it if he's not going to wear it even if it is someone else. I I just don't get why. I'm more interested in why now. It's one thing if if he did it in Last Jedi when it was right after the battle and we didn't have that time jump, but now we have that time jump and we're going to see all these things that the resistance was up to. So what's happening that now, let's assume years later, Kylo Ren's finally like, you know what I should bring back? 
mom jeans and my helmet. <laughs> mom jeans. <laughs> Gotta have the mom jeans. Well, like <laughs> enough time has passed. We can bring it back now. It's interesting too because, like, in the trailer, the one shot we see of him, we see of him without the helmet on. You know, mm-hmm. so to to some extent, it almost makes me wonder if he becomes somewhat of a double agent and destroys the first order from the inside uh, and and puts back on the mask to portray that facade, you know, um, to, to bring that, that fear back um, and, and almost using, well, not almost like using the fear and aggression of the dark side, but to help the resistance win the war, you know, it would, it would be very, it would go a lot along with that balance idea. Yeah, little Professor Snape there. Yeah. Oh, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. All right. But that also, like, okay, this is a good segue into our conversation for today because we're going to talk about Master and Apprentice. And there, before we get into what this is primarily going to be about, which is uh, listener questions that got sent in via Facebook, Twitter, and so on, um, there was one thing that came up as I was kind of working through some articles today um, that, of course, this book inspired because there's so much stuff in here. The idea of slavery is coming up a lot in these books. We got it in Queen Shadow with no resolution. We got it in Master and Apprentice with no resolution. And we also have Anakin in episode one saying that he's going to come back and free all the slaves, which he never does. So... It's got me thinking about like slavery and how it could be dealt with in episode nine. There's been talk of the possibility of a uh, stormtrooper rebellion led by Finn. I wonder, and I want to get your thoughts on this. What's the possibility of Finn and maybe Finn and Kylo teaming up to lead a stormtrooper rebellion? And in that sense, bring an end to slavery in the galaxy. Do you think that that would be a good conclusion for that particular plot point or, or what? Um, it would be a good conclusion. I just don't see it with those two characters. You know, there's no reason that Finn should be forgiving of Ben Solo or Kylo Ren at this point. He hasn't gone through those more intimate, um, interactions like Ray has. So Ray knows him as both Kylo and knows him also as Ben Solo. It makes sense that she would kind of tag team something with him. Whereas Finn knows him only as Kylo Ren. But what if it's a situation where Ray is the one that asks Finn to go on the mission, you know, and he, and it not necessarily that they're like a, a willing team, but, Finn begrudgingly goes with Kylo Ren and I don't know, maybe comes back to the ranks and they play like this trick. This, this sounds like, this sounds like a terrible plot line. I'm, I'm making this sound really terrible, but I could see them like working together, but being at odds and infiltrating the first order. No, I think they're going to keep Finn with, um, Ray and Poe. I think they're going to try and keep those three together for as much as possible instead of giving each one their own little thing to do like they did in Last Jedi. Yeah. Well, I guess J.J. did kind of confirm that in the, in the panel. Uh, yeah. In the panel. It just, I wonder how much time that's going to be. Like, is it going to be the whole movie or is it going to be just like a third act kind of thing? 
it'll be interesting to see. And I feel like, especially with the prophecies that are in this book, in Master and Apprentice, there's going to be connections back to Nine. We talked about that on the last episode, where like the timing that this is coming out, um, they knew they were going to be releasing the episode nine trailer at this point. Like you got to think that there is some connection to episode nine. I actually just put out an article today at the time of our recording um, that I'll link in the show notes that covers some of the prophecies and some that I think are already like taken care of um, off the board and some that could affect episode nine, like things coming together and breaking apart and combining and everything. So that'll be fun. Um, Yeah, but I'll link that in the show notes, but I want to go ahead and and get into these listener questions that we got because we have a lot of stuff to go through. I want to start out, uh, David Fogel sent, uh, sent us a few questions. And his first one is, do you think that Averos, or Averos, depending on, on how you want to read it, uh, leading Qui-Gon to the prophecy set Dooku on his path, or do you think that he was already on that path? The, he asked this before we had Jedi Lost, so let's answer this without going into spoilers for Jedi Lost, and then when we get to Jedi Lost, we'll, ta- we'll touch on it again. So do you think that Averos you know, showing Qui-Gon the prophecy is part of why Dooku fell to the dark side. Yeah, I think it's part of it. I don't think it's at its core even before reading um, Jedi Lost. Is it Jedi Lost or Lost Jedi? I don't know why I can't remember that. It's Jedi Lost, but it's it's not a title that rolls off your tongue. No, it's not. Well, we'll just call it the Dooku play. Um, But no, I think even... Master and Apprentice gives us hints that Dooku already knew where it might lead and he probably knew from personal experience. So he was able to literally put it on the shelf for a little bit and tuck that side away and hide it from himself and hide it from the rest of the world. Qui-Gon and Avaros though absolutely put him back on that path. So if not for those prophecies and those two starting to dig in and question things, maybe Dooku could have stayed a Jedi, but because they pushed him back to it, it just, you know, it, it watered those plants and let those plants grow where they might have not grown before. Yeah. I, yeah, I would have to, to agree with you there. And like, We'll talk about this more, but Dooku was skirting that line very closely for a very long time, and I think it was masked behind um, his regality and, and his skill. Um, it's interesting. The, the way these two connect is really interesting. But going on to, uh, on to David's next question, he asked if Maul didn't kill Qui-Gon, um, and, and so then Qui-Gon took Anakin as Padawan... We've all kind of speculated that like things would have been a lot better, but he's he has an interesting question. Would that in fact have changed the prophecy? Would it have really changed our interpreting of that chosen one prophecy? I think that it wouldn't have changed the prophecy. And if you had asked me a month ago, you know, this very question of would it make things better for Anakin, I would have said, of course it would have. Finding out more about the prophecies, though, and Qui-Gon's faith in it, 
I think him being the one to train Anakin could have made things worse because then it would have been so much of let's really dig into these prophecies and let's really make sure things are lining up and this is Anakin and how do we stay the course here? Um, what I think would have happened too is it's, it's kind of set in stone at this point. And the Clone Wars were going to happen either way. Anakin's fall to the dark side was going to happen either way. Qui-Gon would have just had visions of all of this happening to the point where it probably would have driven him insane the way it did sifo See, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I realized something as I was working today. Qui-Gon by the end of this book is is really coming to his his own in terms of a teacher and really realizing that it's it's cliche to say this but it's a journey and not a destination and i feel like with anakin he would have been willing to let the the whole chosen one thing run its course i don't think he would have put that pressure on him but i think the the jedi council and obi-wan in particular had kind of that confirmation bias where they already knew where he was going to end. So they kind of forced him in that direction. You know, it's like, it's like having a kid that like comes from a divorced family, you know, is eight, nine years old, shows a lot of aggressive, uh, aggressive tendencies. You know, like if, if teachers and parents are just like, well, he's just a bad, bad seed. Like he's going to end up in prison by the time he's 16. But if you have that support that's willing to let him deal with these anger issues and work through them and make the mistakes that come with them, but be kind of that, the buffer in the bowling lane kind of thing, there's a lot of potential for a kid like that. Um, which is, I feel like that's what he did for Obi-Wan. I feel like he, he let Obi-Wan make his own mistakes. He let Obi-Wan, we see this in Phantom Menace, stand up to him uh, and talk back to him and... and that's not necessarily something, especially in like a, a martial discipline uh, like the Jedi's practice that you, you see a lot, but it allowed Obi-Wan to become the best Jedi, the best version of Obi-Wan that he could be. So I think I still fall on the side that Qui-Gon would have been, would have been better. It's, it keeps coming back to these two words for me on this Chosen One prophecy, and it's through and ultimate. I feel like those are the most important words in there. Like, What do you mean? Well, so, okay. Balance was brought by Anakin at the end of uh, episode six, at the end of Return of the Jedi. We get that confirmed by Luke. He says there was balance for a time. That doesn't, that doesn't match up with ultimate balance, though. Like, ultimate hmm. balance would have to be the lasting thing, which would have to be episode nine. So putting that together with the fact that it says a chosen one shall come and through him, ultimate balance will be restored. Like it, it has to happen through the Skywalker line, you know, because it has to come from Anakin and his progeny, right? Like it, it I just feel like it has to mean more than, than just, you know, few decades of peace yeah like because i mean 
it just kind of gets to the whole balance idea, you know, that that they talk about in the book where uh, Rail points out that, you know, have you actually thought about what balance means? It just means the same number of light side users and dark side users. And it's almost the same here. Like, okay, Anakin sunk the the Jedi ship, you know, and caused, what, 30, 35 years of terror across the galaxy and then raised the Jedi ship and gave 30, 35 years of peace. And that just, I mean, okay, but I don't feel like that's how a mythology ends. You know what I mean? And that's what Star Wars is. It's a lore, it's a mythology, like... The world has to be significantly better off because of what you do. I think one of the key points that you made, too, is like Real Avaro says, is how are we defining balance? Is it really that it's just even number on both sides? Or is it something more along the lines of the Bendu, where we're not so much concerned about the scales of the entire galaxy, but just the individual person. And are we letting each person individually open themselves up to either side of the force? Yeah. And that's something they touch on a lot. It's really hard to talk about this without talking about Dooku. Yeah, it Um, is. It's almost impossible at this point. (laughs) Yeah. But the whole, there is a big focus on the, connection between the light and dark sides of the force right and i think in here even though he qui-gon doesn't directly say dark side i think he touches on it with that quote where he says that we don't serve the light to win some cosmic war we serve it because it is the light right and that to me is him emphatically saying like balance is the light side continually winning over the dark well not winning is not the right term I want to use outstanding the the dark side right because they're both going to exist like they're both realities you can't have light without dark like that's just it's just a fact you know like you wouldn't understand it so I honestly wonder if in episode nine at the end there's almost no force users as we know them like basically everybody is just letting the force the forces will act out you know it's not the jedi trying to direct it or the sith trying to uh use it for power and personal gain but like just just letting it be and being more of a a cheer it kind of character where Sure, you may touch on it here and there to defend yourself, but for the most part, you're just listening to it and letting it guide you. It really is almost impossible to talk about this without Dooku, but there's that great line there in um, that audio drama where it's, you don't need to use the dark side, but you need to recognize it and you need to know it's there. Um. And maybe, you know, that could be said for what it means to really bring balance to the force is you are just allowing people to recognize both sides, be able to tap into both sides, but you're not giving either one the power to really change the course of the galaxy. Yeah, it's it's 
it's interesting though because like so me coming from a, a Christian faith background like my thought process is okay so if you have the the Jedi as is or, or as we would idealize them to be I feel like it would be the the Mother Teresa type people of the world you know where they're sacrificing everything to improve the lives of other people Whereas the Jedi we get in the the prequels are more of the uh, Joel Olstein mega churches, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and obviously there there's flaws to the the mega church system. I feel like somewhere in between though is where the the layperson has to find their place, right? Like not everybody can be Mother Teresa. Not everybody has the the character. Not everybody has the will. Um, not everybody's called to that, right? <laughs> like, not everybody's going to be a Jedi. But allowing the Force to direct you, but also not not just sitting there and going like, well, I'm going to do whatever the, the Force wills and then not actually doing anything because the Force doesn't, like, knock on your door and be like, hey, you should do this, right? It's like that... Have you heard that joke about the the guy and he's rowing his boat in a flood um, and goes by a sinking man uh, who's who's there in the in the flood in the water and he's like hey do you want to do you want to lift and he's like no my god will save me and then uh, another guy comes by uh, and he asks the same thing no my god will save me and the third boat comes by and asks him hey do you want to ride and he's like no my god will save me and he drowns and goes to heaven and he's like god you didn't save me and he's like dude i sent you three boats hmm. you know like i feel like that's kind of something we have to consider for considering like the lay person and where they go after episode nine um you know i would I, I don't want to equate it here because I know you don't watch the show and I don't want to alienate anyone else who doesn't watch the show. Um, but Game of Thrones, man, they uh, they t- they touch on this really well. And there's actually a line in a song by the Abbott brothers um, that goes, may your life never change by the man who's elected. And Game of Thrones kind of takes that point and they run with it because we're watching this this epic war go on and everyone's trying to politically and forcefully and even take religion into account all to one up each other to see who's sitting on the throne at the end. And we have this one character in game of Thrones who just keeps saying, I serve the people. And he, he does not want the throne. He's not going for the throne for himself. He just keeps saying, I'm here. I'm keeping myself as close to the power as possible because I, I don't care who sits on the throne. I just want to make sure that they're doing a good job and they're actually helping the people. I have no dog in this fight. Just whoever is going to do the best for the, for the most amount of people. And maybe that's what bringing balance to the forces is worrying about these lay people and making sure that one particular side of the force doesn't have power over the galaxy at any given moment and it really is just nice and even keel and it's not the dark side ruling the galaxy through the empire and it's not the height of the jedi order being at the whim of the republic it's just even and the that most of the people in the galaxy their life does not 
not change by whoever is elected. Yeah, and the the interesting thing there is it takes like a certain type of person to do that. Um, it takes like a Qui Gon or even a Luke or a Ray to do that kind of thing, right? And so we have to get to to some point where basically you're not just letting everybody in, right? Like in the in the prequel era, oh, you're a baby with force powers? Come on, let's go. But like, okay, there's there's we can change in life, but there's a certain constitution that we're born with, right? Like there's certain things that are just wired in us that we we can't avoid. Like me, I'm going to have an obsessive personality. It's why I don't drink. Because if I drank, I would be an alcoholic in about three and a half hours, right? Like I, because I go so overboard with anything that I like. So you you need to be able to to have time to read the individual to see if they have the constitution to be that person who can be by the power and not try to take the power. You know? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And it, it's tough figuring out exactly who the chosen one is and what the prophecy means when we can have these discussions all day about what it actually means to bring balance to the force, let alone who's going to be the one to do it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's one of those things like it, it almost can't be defined, you know, which is kind of a force thing. A pastor said one time in one of his sermons, something that really stuck out to me. Um, and even if you, you don't come from a faith background, like I think this is, is something that kind of fits within the Star Wars galaxy. He said, like, God cannot be contained by human words, but we use human words because we don't have anything better. Hmm. You know, like, so, so naturally our definition is going to be of God is going to be short-sighted. Like even saying he's almighty and, and omnipresent or like, that's not even close to describing how he really is, right? And I think that kind of fits with the force. Like, we talk about this idea of balance within these human terms, and honestly, in, in, in terms of our own world, when the force is something we know from the, the lore and from things like Rebels and Clone Wars and these novels, is something so much bigger than we could ever really define. So it to some extent like when we talk about balance at least now without episode nine yet i think we're kind of limited in exactly what balance means you're all extremely limited so moving on to to another topic uh megan wants us to talk about prophecies but we're gonna save that one we're gonna circle back around to that uh good friend jason hunt from over at the wampas lair podcast wants us to do a little comparison between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationship and the glimpses we get between uh, Qui-Gon and Dooku um, in this in this story. Again, we're going to be limited now by the no talking about Dooku Jedi lost, but I think that there, there are some parallels there because you see Dooku giving... Qui-Gon the leeway to kind of discover what part of being a Jedi it is that sticks out to him. Um, and, and even allowing him to delve into stuff that he's not necessarily a fan of at that point in his life. Which is, it's interesting because that's kind of the same way that Qui-Gon treats Obi-Wan. You know? Like, he, he lets him 
be Obi-Wan, which is something that I don't think Obi-Wan did a very good job of doing with Anakin. No, and actually, I would equate Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationship as Master and Padawan, at least in this book, to the early days of Yoda and Dooku more than I would Dooku and Qui-Gon. Because I think Dooku gave Mm -hmm. Qui-Gon actually a lot more autonomy. And he, he seemed to trust him to take lead a lot more on certain missions. And he really valued his opinion on certain things. There was, you know, they even have that line there about, we were inseparable. Uh, this is Dooku and Qui-Gon. Whereas in Ma- Master and Apprentice, it is so much of, am I doing the right thing? Am I a good teacher? Am I a good Padawan? Um, what's, and each one of them thought internally, what's wrong with me? Why can't I serve my student the way he needs me to? What's wrong with me? Why can't I pick up on the lessons that my master is giving me? That seems to mirror much more closely to early Dooku and Yoda instead. Yeah, and I think it's a a different situation also because Dooku had already successfully had another Mm -hmm. Padawan. You know, um, he already had Rail who, although he wasn't rebellious in the same way that Qui-Gon was, he had quite the rebellious streak himself. And so, and Dooku had been teaching at the temple for... For years, um, as we find out in in Jedi Law, so they're coming at it at two completely different stages in their life. Um, so, like, I think Dooku at that point already kind of knows what kind of teacher he is. Uh, I, I'm kind of looking at it like through the lens of myself as a teacher, because honestly, like, the first three years, I like was just trying not to drown uh it felt like because i had no idea like okay i've got this kid who's got this problem in this home life and struggles with this and what do you do with a a a student who's on a second grade reading level in fifth grade like what do you do with somebody who's on a 10th grade reading level in fifth grade like just dealing with the different situations that you have to with any student and i feel like Dooku having that experience put him in on a better ground than Qui-Gon when he started with with Kenobi. Uh, and this story's kind of Qui-Gon figuring out who I think this is interesting because this book to me feels like Qui-Gon figuring out that part of being a student or excuse me, part of being a teacher is being the student also. You know, and and when he asks Obi-Wan if he wants to stay with him as as his Padawan, the way I read that is more so like, yes, we're going to be master and Padawan and I have more experience than you and have a lot to teach you and and share with you. But at the same time, we're going to kind of be figuring this thing out together as we go and not just their relationship, but the force and what it's calling them to do and, and, and what a Jedi should be. Yeah, and not only the Force, though. It's not even that they were figuring out the Force. Dooku had so many other influences at this point. You know, I, as even as a student, Dooku really did skate on thin ice, you know, and he was already brought before the Council a handful of times. And then as a master, he was... 
um, or I'm sorry, as a student, he was still working with other masters other than just Yoda. And I don't want to go too much into that and start to spoil that. Um, we'll certainly have another discussion on that story. But Dooku did have a lot of outside influences so that when he was a master himself, he was able to pull in all these other styles he had seen and adapt that much faster. Whereas Qui-Gon works so closely with just Dooku and that partnership seemed to really work that maybe he didn't know how to adjust and to pivot where he was coming from and how he was teaching Obi-Wan. Uh, so that, that really had to be challenging, you know, maybe in Qui-Gon's earlier years, we can say that he didn't have his own style of teaching yet. He was just trying to mimic what he saw Dooku do because he didn't know anything else. Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, that's really any teacher. I feel like at the beginning, you're just mimicking and, and trying to yeah. figure it out as you go along because I mean, in any capacity of being a teacher, like whether you're actually like a classroom teacher or, you know, like a friend Fode who teaches martial arts, or if you're just like a mentor, uh, I know Drew does a lot of work with his youth group, right? Which is like a teaching thing. You're teaching, you know, new employees in, in your company and things like that. Like that's to some extent, you always feel like you're faking it, right? Like, you're you, at some to some extent you're always making it up as you go along because no two problems are ever the same because no two people are ever the same and so yeah I think you're I think you're onto something there that he was just kind of almost faking it until he makes it kind of thing yeah and that's something you can't recognize until it's too late and you've already found that you know that yeah. style that works for you and you're able to adapt and unfortunately. A young Obi-Wan, I'm sure, had to suffer the consequences from that. Luckily, he certainly overcame them. And as we see in Master and Apprentice, that relationship really did work out in the end. Well, and this is something funny I thought of also is it it seems like Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan almost got stuck together, right? Like, am am I reading that right? Yeah, no, I think you're reading that right from okay. from everything that we learned in this book. Okay, so and and we we know from Dooku that like and, and other material that masters usually pick their padawans, right? Mm-hmm. What's the other situation where a master and a padawan get stuck together? Luke and Ray, for sure. Okay, Luke and Ray. But think about who you're talking oh, to. Oh, well, Obi-Wan and Anakin. Mm, but think about who you're talking to. Anakin and Ahsoka. Oh, I guess right. there's actually quite a few. Yeah, th- there is now. So I've, oh. I feel kind of uh, <laughs> reading on my question. But um, yeah, so, well, now I'm distracted by all the other ones that are kind of put together. What were you going to say? I think when it comes to Ahsoka and Anakin... The, the council's intentions were the same um, to some extent, right? Like, I think it, it's kind of directly in there, actually, that Obi-Wan got paired with Qui-Gon because, Qui- or excuse me, Obi-Wan was rebellious and thus, by being put with a rebel, would rebel and reverse psychology equals he becomes a rule follower, right? 
And I think to a point, they also were trying to rein Qui-Gon in with, uh, with Obi-Wan um, and helping him become a mentor. And I don't think they intentionally were trying to have him move away from focusing on the Force to focus on the Jedi, but I think subliminally it was in there. Hmm. And Ahsoka gets put with Anakin because Anakin doesn't know how to let go of things. And so by learning to let go of his Padawan, he's going to learn this lesson. I just think it's interesting because these are like really rep- important relationships um, to, to be just putting people together in terms... A little willy-nilly. In, well, almost like in order to fulfill your own prophecies you know like to to have them become what you want them to be because i think part of anakin's strength is his his attachment to people his his caring for the people who are close to him and instead of supporting that and using that and helping that grow because obi-wan was so entrenched in being a rule follower at that point he pushed back against it. Whereas Qui-Gon never stopped being a rebel and so kind of let Obi-Wan make his own mistakes and have his own flaws and have to figure out how to work through them with guidance, but not necessarily like, this is what we're going to do, which we see Obi-Wan directly say to, to Anakin in Attack of the Clones. You know, like, we will follow our mandate. Uh, which is exactly what Yoda tells Qui-Gon to do here, and Qui-Gon's like, mm, maybe not. So, it's I think more understandable though why they wanted to fight, especially Anakin's attachment to things. When we see what happened now with um, Avaros and his attachment to people, even even his Padawan. You know, it's it's a little bit more understandable why the Council would think attachment would be a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I see it, but I feel like the, we talk about the flaws of the Jedi a lot, and I, to some extent, I hate just, like, poo-dooing on the Jedi, because I think that there's a lot of good about the Jedi Order. I sure, think yeah. A lot of good in the galaxy, right? But, like, the prequel trilogy is a tragedy, so, I mean, we're gonna focus on the tragic parts of it, and I think one of the most tragic parts of the Jedi is after Qui-Gon died and Dooku had left, there wasn't really anybody that we know of that really encouraged people to be themselves. Um, everybody was almost a, almost like a clone Jedi, you know? Like, everybody was supposed to follow the same path. Even characters like like Quinlan Voss, right, are, are kind of pushed to the outside until they become useful for the means of the majority, um, which we see in Dark Disciple. And, and that leads to negative consequences when you, when you try to force students, your students, to become what you want them to be instead of supporting them in who they want to be. Yeah, and we even see it on the flip side in Master and Apprentice with Avaros really trying to force the princess into certain things, and she totally flips the script on him. So I don't think it's unique to just the Jedi. It seems to be any organization and just people in general. Yeah. And, and 
you know that it it links to the sequel trilogy because you've got uh you know i feel like ben a major reason that he he fell to the dark side is because of who he thought he was supposed to be right um and and he was rebelling against it um in terms of being like the the legacy of luke and han and leia that everybody would want him to be and instead becoming the legacy of vader that nobody would want him to be except for snoke uh and and ray also kind of has this idea of who she wants to be that she's like forcing herself into until she can no longer like put the circle in the square um so the whole idea of identity and what we get from our teachers and what our teachers allow us to have that is ourself and and the it's interesting because there's a push pull that goes on between master and apprentice between teacher and student that shapes both of them right like i don't i don't know if if rail had been basically like a terrible jedi and not done anything worthwhile which i don't think is true i think he I think he did a lot of good things on that eight-year mission um, on the planet, and, and Fanry was just a big mistake that he made, and it was a huge, glaring one. But Dooku did a, a pretty solid job of, of leading him into being, well, a good Jedi. I don't think he was a great Jedi. I think he was a good Jedi. Um, Qui-Gon was a great Jedi, and it's just interesting, you know, that there's you can have the same teacher and different students and completely different results. There's, there's a push pull, there's a tension there where it's, it's almost unpredictable. And I think when we get to the end of the book with Qui-Gon, it, it's funny because Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan are sitting there and, and in a very Kenobi way, um, after Qui-Gon asks Obi-Wan if he'll stay at being his apprentice, Obi-Wan's like, you know, Master, I figured out that I wouldn't learn as much from somebody who I always agree with. I'm like, that's exactly what, like, a teacher wants to hear. Like, I don't know. The the push-pull between teacher and student is something that fascinates me um, and I think is a theme that isn't talked enough about in Star Wars. No, well, it's it's tough to talk about it in things like the movies when we're so focused on one particular point of view, but... Master and Apprentice, we are really able to go back and forth. You know, we didn't, in the in the long run, spend too much time on Obi-Wan Kenobi's point of view, but we spent enough to understand where both of them were coming from, and seeing that the flaw wasn't necessarily in either one of them, it was just in what was ever in between them blocking them. And when they were able to remove that, but it had to be something that both of them came to that conclusion individually and both of them found the solution individually and then move forward. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the idea of Qui-Gon kind of figuring out how to become a student again, as he's also a teacher, of course, circles back around to like the clone wars. Um, this is, I mean, we kind of said this on the last episode. This is like the, the prequel to the prequels because I feel like it's a very important story to s- knowing who Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are at the beginning of, of The Phantom Menace. The other important thing that came out of this that we, we've touched on but haven't digged super deep into are the prophecies. And I want to kind of 
we're going to turn this into a game. We already <laughs> talked about the, the prophecy of the chosen one, so we're going to skip that one. Okay. I want to go through each of the prophecies um, that that's listed in the books, and hopefully I have them all written down. You correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, and we're just going to rapid fire. What if it if there's one thing that it's talking about? What is it that it's talking about? I love it. Let's all go. Right. So start the timer. The the first one is she who will be born to darkness will give birth to darkness. My first thought for this was actually we don't know what Shmi's early life was like and could it be about her? Second thought reading it though was it had to be Leia. You know, she was born to literal darkness in a way because her mom died almost immediately after. So she gave birth to Kylo Ren. Did she give birth to darkness? Um, so my initial thought was Shmi. My second reading, thinking about it, is Leia. Okay, first of all, I think our uh, Lothwolf portal idea is working because <laughs> I definitely... <laughs> Shmi is... Ex- I, I don't think it's Leia um, because I don't feel like... Leia was born to darkness. She was born maybe of darkness, um, but she, she grew up on Al- on Alderaan. She she had a pretty pretty good childhood, um, as we find out in Leia, Princess of Alderaan. I think it's me. I think especially if she was, and, and it actually kind of hinges on this. Honestly, if she was born a slave, if she was born a slave, like there's nothing really darker than that, and. Then, mm giving birth to the one who will bring the empire in. Um, yeah. All right. So this one, it, we're going to do it, but it, it's kind of laid out. When the yeah. Kyber that is not Kyber yep. shines forth, the time of prophecy will be at hand. I don't want to talk about the Kyber part. I want to talk about the time of prophecy will be at hand. What do you think okay. that touches on? Um, I think it is the timing. If I'm not mistaken, this was eight years before Phantom Menace, meaning Anakin would have just been born. I think that it is, you know, now we're kicking into high gear, guys. I think that by saying that a time of prophecy will be at hand, it's speaking to the fact that the Jedi will come to start believing in prophecy again. Because they believe in the prophecy of the Uh. Chosen One because of what happens to Qui-Gon in in this book oh that's interesting yeah all right i like that yeah all right when the righteous lose the light evil once dead shall return yeah that one seems pretty obvious to me you know when the righteous being the jedi at this point have totally fallen prey to the republic they aren't really what the jedi intended them to be giving birth to the empire and letting the sith come in Good thought, but you're wrong. Ah, uh, all right. Let's hear it. It's actually talking about Sheevy Palps, my man. Yeah? I think so. Yeah. How I think, so? Uh, because the righteous losing the light, I think, is Han, Luke, and Leia kind of being in a dark place when we get this trilogy. And I think we're going to find out that it was somehow all... I don't think Palpatine is alive, but I think it is a result of, of Palpatine. Um, and, of course, we know in some way they're going to have to deal with him in Episode Nine. Maybe that's just me hoping. No, I I think either one of those is a good interpretation of 
of it. And that's one of the fun things about this. All right, the next one. Only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the Order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. That, I would say, is the Clone Wars. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what else. It, yeah. The, so the sin done to the nameless, do you think that that was the Clone Wars? Because we, we do learn that like there wasn't the greatest um, public relations going on for the Jedi during this <laughs> time, and a lot of people had problems with them and blamed the war on them. Do you think in talking about that sin, is it only the Clone Wars, or do you think it's a, an issue that started a lot earlier than that? No, I think it started a lot earlier in that when we get to see it really well in this book when Qui-Gon keeps arguing with Yoda, you know, and I I don't want to bring Dooku up again because I know we're going to get into it, but the uh, mission with the Bacta factories and the Bacta plants there, you know, the, the Jedi Order seemed to stop caring so much about what's going to actually help the Nameless yeah. Um, you know, I th- I think it did start much much earlier. It's just in Master and Apprentice, Qui-Gon lays it out so clearly when he's talking to Yoda. When I read Master and Apprentice before I got to Dooku, I was pretty set on the idea that this is the prophecy that made Dooku turn to the dark side and we'll come back to this with uh Dooku Jedi Lost because I do have some issues when it comes to that part of the storyline. But I would like to see some kind of connection through that. There's there's always been this feeling that Dooku wasn't really a Sith, you know? that wasn't mm-hmm. He wasn't fully a Sith. Um, we never really seen him with the yellow eyes, and, and he just doesn't seem very Sith-like. So I wonder if, if Dooku kind of took the point of, all right, I'm going to do this myself because nobody else... Very Thanos. It could just be because I'm in an endgame kind of mind. All right. This is the one that is just weird and trippy, and I'm hoping you can explain it to me because I'm... I don't know. Uh, The danger of the past is not the past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the entire galaxy. So I am taking this one right now as in, was it episode one? Maybe it was episode two, but Yoda says something along the lines of, you know, misread the prophecy could be. Yeah, that's uh, Revenge of the Sith. Okay, I think this is an example of that. Um, I'm going to go back to the very first Poe Dameron arc in Poe Dameron number three. We have... um, the, the cult that was helping to harbor um, Lor Santeca literally worshipping an egg. And they don't know what's in the egg. They just know that for thousands of years, their people have stood guard of that egg and they have waited for it to crack. And one day it will. You know, and they firmly believe, their religion tells them basically this, that something is in that egg and it's going to threaten or, or save the entire galaxy. We see in Poe Dameron number three, when that egg cracks, it really does threaten the entire galaxy. Um, you know, it's it's a brief fight for sure, but it could have been dangerous had our heroes not been there to save the day. What was in that egg really could have wrecked havoc on quite a few planets. 
Um, so I take this one right now as a way to show us that some of these prophecies can be misread. And there are these other sects and these other cults out there who are waiting for something different. They had the same prophecies and just took on a totally different interpretation for them. Now, what it actually means, I don't know, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's interesting. When when you brought up the idea about the the egg in the Poe Dameron comic, like the literal interpretation of it, I think fits. Um, but I kind of had a problem with like, okay, it's not the best story for a prophecy to be attached to. Uh, it doesn't seem that important, but the idea of a prophecy being misinterpreted, I think brings a lot of depth to that idea. And, and it would make sense that like, okay, the Jedi are seeing this, but not necessarily all of it is for the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like we it. have to assume that other people have seen this. Now, something could happen in Episode Nine, and something could happen in Force Collector, or maybe we see something in Fallen Order. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of stories coming out this year that this could be answered. And I would love to talk to Claudia Gray and find out a little bit more of what she knew of these upcoming projects and why it was important to include this. Um, but for now, I really do think it's just important to keep in mind that these weren't meant for just the Jedi that we have now. These were meant for the ancient Jedi who could very easily have split off um, and cause people like Lor Santeca to want to go and explore all these options. Yeah. I kind of got the impression that it was about the First Order more so. Um, I kind of was really sticking along the lines of the films themselves um, when trying to make connections with this and the, the past not being a danger anymore because the empire is dead, but there it birthed, it gave an egg to the first order. And then, you know, the first order cracks open through wild space and goes out to threaten the entire galaxy. Kind of got the impression I got, but, I'm kind of leaning towards yours a little bit more. All right. When the Force sickens, past and future must split and combine. Can we just Ray and Kylo? Ray and Kylo. We talked about this in kind of our first part, right? Yeah, we did. We did. We did. And then (laughs) uh, the last major one, which we've already talked about, is uh, a chosen one shall come, born of no father, and through him ultimate balance in the Force will be restored, which, of course, we uh, we already talked about. So... To kind of close out. Oh, wait, you missed two. Oh, I did? Okay. Yeah. And and I think it's going to be, we're lucky we don't really need full explanations here. Um, but I'm going to read them out, and you just shout out the name of who you think they're talking, to, talking about. Right. Okay. Go for it. One will ascend to the highest of the Jedi, despite the foreboding of those who would serve with him. See, I thought that too, but don't forget Revenge of the Sith. Anakin also makes it to the rank of master oh, or makes uh, it to the council without yeah. the rank of master. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so I want to go back to those two points after I hear who you think this one is too. He who learns to conquer death will through his greatest student live again. 
Read it again. He who learns to conquer death will through his greatest student live again. I almost wonder if it's Palpatine. Oh. It it comes to the like the great through his greatest student thing. I'm like, okay, is Anakin the greatest student of Obi-Wan? Is Luke the greatest student of Obi-Wan? I honestly I feel like it it's going to be Luke. I I almost wonder if part of Kylo talking about um I will finish what you started and part of the reason is learning to bring somebody back from death, right? Like Anakin was trying to prevent Padme from dying, trying to control death. I, I wonder if part of nine is going to be Ben figuring out how to reincarnate Han and Luke and possibly Leia. Hmm. So I think Luke, I think Luke. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might really be anyone. You know, I, I think that, this could also tie into she who will be born to darkness will give birth to darkness. I think it's just generalizing, you know, like this is, Hey guys, guess what? This is a power of the force. If you can conquer death, you're going to live again. And it's, you know, why Qui-Gon started to meditate and figure out how to appear to Obi-Wan first as a voice. And then later on as a force ghost, um, you know, and teach Obi-Wan that power and continue and so on and so forth. You know, it could also be anyone who was born into darkness because of nature versus nurture. Maybe they'll give birth to darkness as well. Um, so I kind of think I took that as more of a, hey, guys, guess what you can do if you study the force as opposed to, hey, watch out. This is going to happen at some point. I've been fascinated by this kind of I'm calling it Jedi family tree of like the progression between Yoda to Dooku to Obi-Wan to Anakin and Luke to Ray and Ben mm-hmm. and, and how it kind of splits and combines um, and, and ebbs and flows <laughs> a little bit like, because you have, it's not like a straight line. You have like Qui-Gon circling back around and teaching Yoda and uh, you know, Obi-Wan teaching two people. I just, the whole connection between that particular group of Jedis are kind of our main Jedi and how one influenced the other is really fascinating to me. Um, And the idea of like Luke's faith in the force being what allowed Obi-Wan to manifest more, you know, as, as you see him in the original trilogy, he becomes like brighter and brighter um, as Luke's faith starts to get uh, bigger and bigger. I don't know. There's so much. There's so much that all this stuff links to. All right. To close out, if you could get one other story connected to this story, taking Dooku off the table because that's pretty connected and that's already out there. So you get one future story that is in some way connected to Master and Prentice. What do you want and who do you want to write it? Or direct it or whatever all right i'm gonna stick with claudia gray because i think she just did 
a phenomenal job with Qui-Gon and just the force in general. You know, she, I know I say it all the time and I still mean it. Delilah Dawson is my favorite star Wars author, but Claudia Gray just seems to have such a handle on the force itself. If I had to go with a spinoff, not really related to Dooku. Hmm. I think I would want to see Qui-Gon have a few more visions that he feels the need to hide from people, um, you know, and maybe see how that either strengthens or weakens his relationship with Obi-Wan. But I, I don't want this to be the end of the visions that he had. I would like to see more of those. I'm going to kind of cheat and use the idea of Master and Apprentice and say I want this book, but the Luke and Ben version of it. Ooh, okay. I like that. And because I feel like there would be some darkness to it, I'm going to have to go with Delilah S. Dawson because she's... she's no one does that. it better than her. Yeah, she's she's into that dark stuff. But speaking of Claudia Gray, <laughs> this is, happened at school this week. It was pretty cool. So we have a nonprofit in the area that does like this... Um, it donates books to the school, so at the end of the year, our kids get six free books to take home. And they go in, and like it's like set up, and they like shop for the books and whatever. Um, and the kids were laughing about one of the books, and one of my kids goes, Mr. Boylan, read this. He just got this one. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was uh, Evernight, which is the first book in a series of vampire novels that Claudia Gray wrote. And I was like... She's my favorite author. Oh my God. Like, you're going to love that book so much. I haven't even read it. And I, oh, and I you just like, know. I know. I know. I started like hyperventilating. And they're like, oh my God, what a freak. Um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Claudia Gray is everywhere, as she should be. Uh, and well, there's got to be, there's got to be more coming with Claudia Gray. Like, oh, there has to be. They can't just let her walk out at this point. I, I feel like we're starting to get this contingent of authors that are going to kind of be the new era of like the, the James Lucino, Timothy Zahn, uh, Mike Stackpole. Uh, you, you, who wrote A New Dawn? I just completely blanked on his name. Uh, John Jackson Miller. Thank you. John Jackson Miller. Um, I wanted to call him James for some reason. Like they were kind of like stalwarts of the the uh, EU era, and I feel like now we're getting, like, the... I mean, Timothy Zahn's still around, but we're getting, like, Christy Golden, we're getting Claudia Gray, Delilah S. Dawson, E.K. Johnston. I really want to see Beth Revis come back for another story. I would like that. I was really impressed with Rebel Rising. Yeah, I think she did a good job. I think she did a real good job. So, uh, next up, we will be talking about Dooku Jedi Lost. Um, which, of course, will link back to this. And I think we're going to come back to, to some of these same questions um, and expand on them a little bit more. But until that time, you can always come hang out with us over on our Facebook group. It's the Clashing Sabers Star Wars community. Uh, I'm over on Twitter, at Clashing Sabers. We have a contest going on right now. Uh, listen to our Rogue One episode with Ash, which is a lot of fun. Um to learn how to win that Krennic Pop vinyl. Mm, 
that feels like everything. Go check out clashingsabers.net. We have a bunch of articles uh, up, and I've got some in in the barrel ready to get shot out there. Go check out happybeeps.net and get lost for hours at on end. And it's so addicting. It's really bad. I was like in the car yesterday as we were driving back from dinner, and I'm like, whoa, look at this. Whoa, listen to this. <laughs> and Brooke's just like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. My problem is, too, I thought I had all of the Ray Pop Funkos, and it turns out I'm missing one. So, of course, I went down the deepest rabbit hole trying to find that, and it's hundreds of dollars for, like, used and open ones. I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't know that, but I'm so happy I do know that. <laughs> We're going to find it. It's somewhere out there. Got to be. It's somewhere out there. All right. Well, if you find that pop, uh, let us know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay, let them know where they can reach you if they find it. If you find it, it is Ray with her speeder. Um, you can let me know promptly at on Twitter at Miss Lindsay G. That's MS Lindsay G. Or on Instagram, you can get me at Full Force Lindsay. All right. And until next time, keep reading, keep writing. But whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. <laughs>